Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Tyrannosaurus is coming from inside the house. That's just a bit of a tease as to what you're going to get with the Dreamscape Theater's world premiere of the new play, Pete Rex. But this is a spoiler-free interview, so don't worry if you're listening to this on your way to 59E59 to check it out. I'll let the artists introduce themselves. Take a listen. I do like to start with everyone's name on the mic. Uh, so there's a voice, especially when I've got a full cast and playwright and director. This is amazing. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Tell me who you are and what you did on the show. I'm Alex Thompson. I'm the writer. And what did you write? I wrote Pete Rex. Brilliant. This wonderful yeah. play. Oh, that's terrible. I'm Brad Raimondo, director of Pete Rex. Hi, I am Rosie Soa, and I play Julie in Pete Rex. I'm Simon Winheld. I play Bo and Nero in Pete Rex. <laughs> I'm Greg Carreri, and I play Pete Rex. <laughs> I love themes. Uh, so, great. Um, how do you describe Pete Rex? Like, what is Pete Rex when somebody says, like, I want to come see your show, what am I coming to see? You had um, Greg has do, a good one. Okay, yeah, because... And, and but here, I think we should hear Alex's, oh, yeah. too. <laughs> I don't know that you should. I kind of go, it's, um... Hey, it's like a story. Yeah. It's like a play I wrote. It's a dinosaur, kind of. No spoilers. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I have a hard time describing it because it's, I've, sorry, I've known it for so long that I have about a thousand words to say about it and none of them will bring any clarity. And this is why we need marketing people (laughs) and or Greg Carreri. I I was like Greg Carreri. My simple one, so uh, I say, I tell people that it's a dark comedy about being stuck in your hometown, and also dinosaurs. Sweet. That works. Because it, there is an element of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, um, allegory here. Mm-hmm. Um, are you from PA? Is I that, am. Okay. I'm from New Kensington. The this is your this hometown. Happens. Yes. Um, any autobiographical information in here? Uh, Certainly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of personal and regional uh, regionally specific stuff. There did seem to be, I mean, when you walk in, you're going to notice the Steelers uh, regalia around. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I had a feeling the Yingling was a specific choice. But I don't know, like, I'm, I'm, I want to like, start getting at, like, what the play is about without talking about what the play is about. Yeah. Um, okay. Because there's so <clears throat> much. Uh, given that we are doing this play in New York City in. 2018, right, um, in, in February, it's, um, th- there's a lot to say about who we are as people. Many of us are transplants coming into this place. Yeah. Um, I mean, right down to uh, Rosie's character is going to NYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came from this kind of town and mm-hmm. went to NYU. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> it, talk, like, just talk, kind of talk to me a little bit more about like, what are you hoping that people are going to get when they come to see this, given that this might have a lot of uh, familiar slash possibly uncomfortable resonance yeah. with many of us? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, it, what do you want to, what do you want people to leave grabbing onto mm-hmm. from this play? I don't know. I, so far, just the few audiences we have had and also people with whom I've just talked about the play have all felt very much so like they saw themselves in the play. Like, I I really think it's very um, accessible to lots of people, Um, whether it is that theme of, like, feeling stuck where you are. Because, like, you can feel stuck in New York City, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I think probably most of us. Yeah. 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 Like, I think most of us know that feeling for sure. Um, You know, the personal... 
romantic relationship in the story. I mean, most people I've talked to have said, wow, you know, when that thing happened with you and Pete, I totally got that. Like, I've said those words. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know what? So have I. <laughs> like, it's, it's, um, it really resonates, and I think it's something that while, you know, it's told in a very particular way mm-hmm. in this story, it's something that every, most people have experienced. We, um, we've actually, so the five of us have been with the play for a little more than two years yeah. now, mm-hmm. two, two yeah. years and four months or so. We had, um, we had done it as an excerpt, uh, we'd read an excerpt of it as part of like a, a night of eight or ten excerpts of plays, mm-hmm. and this is the one that sort of like clicked with all of us, and we started talking to Alex about it, um, and the other four of us uh, were all, all went to grad school together, so we've been friends before, and um, at some point, I want to say it was like, maybe a year ago, just not long after the, not, not too far into the wake of the, the inauguration, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, right. that we, we were sitting down and reading a draft of the play, and Alex got to talking about New Ken, New Kensington, Pennsylvania, where he grew up. And the play uh, up to that point had been, I think, really informed by your time in New Kensington, but New Kensington wasn't really a big feature it wasn't of a, the a play. character in the show, the yeah. way it has become. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he had this sort of, he just talked to us about his town for a little while and the people there and this, this place that had, that had been something had, tur- had turned into kind of a non-place uh, through the loss of industry and the loss of, of jobs and economy. And, uh, and we were all kind of like, well, that, that feels like that should be in here now. <laughs> right. um, and I think a lot of it, that, that it's informed really this, the version of the play that's on its feet now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that we really want people to take away with this is that is the experience of of these places in this country and I think probably in the world that have gone from from thriving to to nowhere and what that does to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the I think like the the newest section of the play because it is. I mean, you know, we've you know, like any new play, you know, we we've been on and off at the table with it for, you know, on and off for a couple of years yeah. mm-hmm. and um you know, doing it at 5090s, 59 has been a great opportunity for us, but, you know, the nature of this venue is you find out way in advance, <laughs> you know, and then and then you kind of sit on it for a while. I mean, I actually, I actually got the email uh, saying, hey, we want you to come to 5090s, 59 at, like, 10 a.m. on Election Day 2016. So, right. so I was, yeah. like, super excited for, like, 10 hours. Yeah. And I, like, sort of couldn't muster a ton of enthusiasm for a while. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, um, particularly in rehearsal, one of the last things that came in is, is there is, in the second act, we really sort of pull back the curtain on this place on New Kensington and how the experience of living in New Kensington has shaped these characters' lives. And that a big part of it, I think, is the different way that Pete and Julie have reacted to the environment that they're in. And that, to me, is something I really hope audiences clock because sort of in the wake of the election, you know, it's like every news outlet has done done some story where they like send a reporter to some like town where the last factory closed 30 years ago to try to do like a profile. And they tend to be these very monolithic portrayals. And it's like, you know, 
the people there are, are all this one thing. Yeah, it's the white working class Trump voter in middle America. Exactly. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and what I think is interesting is that in this play, this question of like, what is the, what is the, um, I think this play plays fair with the, with the real challenges that people in those places are facing and the growing up in that kind of place and especially growing up. I mean, look, this is a play about a young white man who grew up thinking his life was gonna go one way and then he discovered it went another way and he's really angry and depressed about that and in his anger and depression he unleashes monsters on the world. Um, like that's what the play is about and if that's not relevant I don't know what is. But it, but it also, I think the play plays really fair with that psychology and also in the character of Julie we've got someone who's like not, who, who acknowledges it but is refusing to be victimized by it. And Bo too. I mean, we we do get that viewpoint from Bo of a different way to live in this yes. place yeah. and in he's, this new economy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the one of the three. He's the one that has adapted the most to the modern world. Julie is leaving, which is a valid choice. Uh, Pete is stuck, but Bo has actually tried to find a way he has to engage. Yeah. He's stayed, yeah. but he's also in the outside world as well. Well, in some way, which I is think, terrifying and threatening to Pete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I think that actually what you just started to touch upon is this notion that you have Bo and Julie who are both dealing with it in their own way, and Pete's just not dealing it's with not it. Right. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest um, one of the biggest themes for me that I think is another thing that people will many people would be able to relate to is feeling like you just can't make a choice, mm -hmm. right? Like being in that place where you're just swimming in the deep end and all you have to do is decide whether to swim left or right and then you can get out of the pool, but just feeling stuck and you can't choose. Like you're treading water and you're getting really exactly. tired. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Some people find a, a way to, to deal with that easier than others or maybe just, like I think with Bo, I think he's desperate to have that title. I'm an independent web developer. Mm -hmm. I think that's his thing and I think that that's, pretty easily knocked down by his best friend Pete and uh, but unfairly I, I do unfairly think, yeah I think it's unfair the yeah way it's I, I think I've always felt that it's to some degree like <laughs> lashing out because it is easier to bring people down to your yeah, level exactly. than to to like try to rise to theirs and to make yeah. you feel better yeah make and yourself feel better in yeah. fairness too Bo is not doing much to help you either uh, to help Pete sure you know uh, that's actually one of the things that I that I like that I that I think that you're kind of getting at here is that is Bo and Julie, Julie's different reactions to Pete mm -hmm. who is a, a person struggling and that is one of the things that I like about this play is that it acknowledges that people who are are struggling with depression or anxiety or whatever are actually can actually be really tough to deal with, yeah. exhausting to deal with. Yeah. That it is it is a disease that that affects the people around them and mm -hmm. and drain, pulls from them too in a way that makes it hard to acknowledge or treat. I Absolutely, think. and you can you can you can love somebody deeply who is depressed and, and is dealing with these issues and also just hate the fact that they won't get off the damn couch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And both of those things can exist simultaneously. Yeah, yeah like just do something. Do something. Like there's <laughs> yeah. that one, there is a moment where something's happening and, <laughs> you know. Several. And, and Julie is really active and she's trying to fix the issue and literally Pete's just sitting on the couch and Julie just says, 
help us do something, you know? And, and that feeling of frustration, not just to do something for that person so that they can activate and, mm-hmm. you know, reach their potential, but also to feel like, do something for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm always doing these things doing for, for you. you. Yeah. 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 You. We yeah. had a lot of conversations like this at the table, and mm-hmm. it became pretty personal, you know, and, and I think all of us in certain ways related to one side of the coin or the other, and some of us both. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually, I think, incredibly personal for all of us, this story. Yeah. I also think there's something that that in the play about um, the the both the uses and the dangers of fantasy. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's this. I didn't. I don't know, Alex, if you were conscious of this, but I, like as I've started thinking about like what are the influences or what are the things like because it's a hard play to try to describe people. You know, the like the Amazon.com like oh customers who were interested in Pete Rex also browsed. You know, like what is this like? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and and it's <laughs> you know um, Simon's dad. Yeah, Simon's dad had a good. It's also hilarious, by the way. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it come it's, for the comedy, stay for the so like. It's all very serious material. <laughs> But it's very funny. Was, oh yeah, he said it's, dad it's um, it was sort of a cross between Ionesco and uh, Edward Albee. Yeah, uh, rhinoceros yeah. meets who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. I can I can feel that. I can feel that. Just but, yeah, I think energy wise and you know yeah. thematically. Yeah. The thing that I was gonna say though, the the thing that keeps coming up for me uh, more and more looking at this play is uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Oh, I think that, that like there's a great because deal of there's there's there's. Trying to make me cry, Brad. Yeah, I am. I am. I am. I, there's uh, there's an, an, very uh, little in the world that will touch me the way Calvin Hobbes. Yeah. There is. A, I would agree. I have all of the books. Some of them multiple copies. Yeah, and all well read. Oh, yes. But <laughs> there's there's something about Pete as this like, and there is. There's there's a moment where we talk about Pete as a little kid, this like weird, lonely little kid who was like around the yard. stomping around the the schoolyard, pretending which, to be a T Rex, yeah. which. Calvin straight up did. Totally. And spoiler alert, so did Alex. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and it's, and and the fantasy, this like dinosaur fantasy that he developed as a kid, you can see all the ways that it like helped him and like turned him into the person he was and like fed his curiosity and made him really smart. But it also was this, you know, one person universe that he could retreat into. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that what we certainly try to do with the play is take a really nuanced view of that and say that it's like, it's not intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. It's just like anything else. This fantasy is what it did. Yeah, can, mm-hmm. you, can be used both ways. And there's a moment that I really don't want to talk about. Um, but there's a <laughs> moment. No spoilers. No spoilers. But there's a moment at the end of the play where you sort of, Pete kind of turns the fantasy around on itself. Right, right. Um, in in a way that when we when we like first talked about it around the table, we got really excited about, mm-hmm. um, because I think it sort of brings it full circle in this idea that like the same if you can imagine your fears big enough to eat you whole, then theoretically you can also imagine yourself big enough to confront those fears, you know. And I think that's a thing that I hope people will take away uh, from the show. Let's talk just a little bit briefly about dinosaurs. Oh, <laughs> because yes. this, I mean, why, there, there's something, you know, really, I think, clever about, we, we got to, like, how 
the dinosaur fantasy is kind of what he's using. Pete's using his defense mechanism, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's also really cool dramatically, uh, dramaturgically, as a device to give us this distance, right? To be able to look at this, the element of the absurd. The absurdity, the, yeah. 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 Sure. Just talk to me a little bit about like how how did you get the dinosaurs, Alex? And uh, <laughs> and is that yeah. did you start from that place of like how do I talk about these serious things with? Did you straight up think like oh, I got to use something to push me away, or did that develop? How does that work as a playwright? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, this actually began life as a three minute. Uh, cigarette play that was just about a tyrannosaur stomping around in the front yard and I wrote it as a straight comedy just an absurd comedy it was a uh, like I said it was three minutes it was bang 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 and the the entire punchline of the story was that this thing that was outside that was hinted at being many different creatures turned out to be a tyrannosaurus so done boom end of play and then the more I kind of thought about it and started mulling over the idea I thought it would be more interesting uh, if the Tyrannosaurus was in the house. And then I started playing with that idea and it really never occurred to me uh, until the allegory actually kind of revealed itself to me. Gotcha. I, was, I had cool. this thing that I thought was a funny idea because I love dinosaurs, always have since I was a little kid. Uh, the, there is a line about uh, a little golden book uh, being the first book Pete ever read. Autobiographical? Quite autobiographical, yeah. yeah I mean, it is, uh, and even Ben. Uh, ben is a real toy that I had. Did the two uh, tell stuff to you guys? Yep. That's amazing. That. Yep, he's a real toy that I had. Um, oh, this is great. I didn't know it. it yeah, he's 100% real. Info. Yeah, yeah wow. um, And I just sort of was getting a big kick out of writing what at that time was just a straight-up comedy about a guy and his dinosaur, his dinosaur friend. And then as I played and played and played with that, it started leading in different directions, and all of a sudden I, I read it and went, Oh, that's what I'm writing. Ah, here's what it is. Son of a gun. Okay, well now I can kind of pull those elements up a little bit. Oh, that's cool. But it started just from my own sort of silly imagination and love of dinosaurs. And I thought it would be funny for a guy to have a British dinosaur friend. Yeah. <laughs> and it is funny. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is uh, hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I actually think it's one of the things that really works about the show, and I think it's something that, to my mind, tends to make for some of the best science fiction and fantasy is that not just, I mean, obviously in the writing of it, but even in, in staging, in sight gags and whatever, often we like, we got the idea and then figured out how it resonated or what it meant after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, it was, you know, there's a, um, there's a, there's a, there is a fight late in the play <laughs> and there are per the particular things in the room that get used as weapons in the right, fight right after we blocked the fight we were like oh that's that we yeah. just made a metaphor yeah um but we didn't know that when we were doing it we were just sort of looking around the room and we were being like if you had to fight off a monster in this room like what are the things you could throw um, and it was only after the fact that we were like, oh, actually. What if? Yeah. If you were yeah. going to write a paper about this play, <laughs> here's the symbolism you would unpack. Nice. Um, and, and, and I think it's, you know, it's something that fantasy uh, lets you do. Fantasy, like, is big enough to hold big ideas without you necessarily having to decide in advance. I want to talk about this big idea. What's the metaphor? Right. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so that's been... 
That's been, and it is. It's just it's just a damn lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there are Chewbacca lights on the wall. So yeah. come for yeah. that. So come for that. You know, if nothing else. <laughs> this yeah. is easiestly the easiest. This is most easily the funnest I've ever had uh, doing. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. I've also yeah. lost my ability to speak English, but uh, <laughs> that's fun too. Yeah, uh, it is really fun. Yeah. yeah, and it's also a great challenge. Like I personally, just as an actor really love the challenge of having to commit to the idea that there's a dinosaur there in the house. You know what I mean? Like, that is not your average scene study. So it's, it's great, and it's incredible fun. Yeah. yeah. It, it was also a really fun show to work on the design of, because one of the things that, that we sort of decided early on is we want the audience to walk in and... Uh, feel like they have somehow been tricked by a dinosaur on the poster into like seeing a piece of kind of boring naturalism. <laughs> like and, and we work really, really hard to convince you. I mean it's it's a box fourth wall set with like all the detail that we could muster on a budget and it and it's as realistic as we can get it looking until it's not. <laughs> um, and that's a fun thing to be able to do. Um, also, and it's one of the things about being here at 1590s, 59th that's been great for us, is, you know, that, like, we're able, there's a level of detail we're just able to have um, in the show that I, I, I think uh, helps us trick the audience. I think there are at least two different moments in the play where we trick the audience into thinking they're watching a different kind of play than they are. Um, at least that's my hope. <laughs> um, and that was, that's been a fun thing, too. It's always fun when you get to play with an audience as a director. Well, come and be played with via Pete Rex. Uh, we are at. Do you like that transition? I yeah. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. You like that? That's awesome. We'll play. Uh, we're you. at 1590 59th. The show runs through March when? Third. Third. March third. Uh, this is the Dreamscape Theater. Tickets and more information can be found at uh, DreamscapeTheater.org. Theater with an R E. You asked my question for me. Answer my question for me. Brilliant. Thank you all so much for Thank doing you. this. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, Alex, Brad, Greg, Rosie, and Simon for hanging out after the show to chat. You can catch Pete Rex at 59 East 59th Theater C. And 59 E59 is, of course, at 59 East 59th Street in Manhattan. The show runs through March 3rd, 2018. Head to dreamscapetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E for a link to tickets and more information. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please give it a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. Until next time, go see a show. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Nice. nice. Thanks, guys. Cool, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. Love it.